Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for checking in on another edition of Book Club. This is a new thing we're doing. I grabbed my buddy Dave Carruth, who, know, when we're together, we talk all about music. But for whatever reason, Dave hasn't quite warmed up to doing a lot of talking on these things. We'll get him there. Help us out here, folks. But anyway, my buddy Dave and I are going to talk to authors of books that are off the beaten path a little bit. Maybe they're independently uh, published, whatever it might be. And this time we're talking to author Joel Miller, who wrote a book recently called Memoir of a Roadie. Now, in his late teens, early 20s, Joel was, like a lot of us, still trying to find his way. Telemarketing, he worked in a music studio, he worked on production on TV shows and movies, got to know a lot of people this way, and eventually fell into becoming a roadie for Stone Temple Pilots. He did that for a while, and then that led to Guns N' Roses, Cranberries, Fishbone, a lot of other bands. So he gives us a glimpse in this book and in this conversation of what the culture of being a roadie is like and what the lifestyle is like and what you do and what your hours are and the work you put in. And as you can imagine, to me, I, I kind of label it as being very broy. You know, it's a lot of dudes, a lot of dudes, a lot of testosterone, a lot of hard work, a lot of sweat uh, and a lot of rock and roll. That's what this is all about to me. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation. He also recently started a podcast called Party Like a Rockstar. You can check that out too. Here you go. Cool. Tell me about your podcast. What's that? So I started a podcast called Party Like a Rockstar. And I've been interviewing uh, mostly roadies, but I got some cool. I uh, got some cool. So I, I interviewed Corey from uh, Living Color, the singer of Living Color. Yeah, Corey, Man, I've been trying to get him on here forever. Super interesting guy. I really enjoyed it. If you can swing it, we even have mutual friends, and it just hasn't worked out yet. Uh, You'll really like him. It's just very smart guy. Very cool. That was that was fun. And then I got a whole bunch of other ones lined up, but uh, that was a cool one. The one that I'm releasing on Wednesday is a fella called the Sperminator. He has uh, 86 children and 24 on the way. Oh. Yeah, he donates. Does he donate his sperm or does he have sex with people? Used to have sex, no more sex. He says he says he donates it. Wow. It was cre- it was kind of creepy to be honest. And then the following one, because I did two in the same day, was uh, I think it was uh, the, the uh, tour manager of Weezer. And I'm like, I'm so glad to be back with people I know. Like, I was so scared. <laughs> it was awful. It was in the trenches with the sperminator. <laughs> That's classic, right? And then I did one once and the guy kept going on and on and on, you know, so you guys use gaff tape, right? Yeah, man. Yep. <laughs> where do you, uh, where do you guys buy the gaff tape? <laughs> you know, I mean, just stuff of kind of like, are you sick? You must be out of questions. That had to be on the bottom of your list. You got it. You know, so I was like, maybe we'll make this shorter. Anyway. Okay. We're good. Okay. I mean, I have a list of questions or notes that I took from reading the book I assume Dave has some too. Yeah, we're new at doing these things together, but um, we'll probably just volley back and forth, get to know you a little bit, talk about the book. Okay, sounds great. Sounds okay. good. Okay, so memoir of a roadie. When did when was this published, Joel? The end of last year. I feel like August, September. So it's actually a cool story. So what happened was, is I was trying to understand the ins and outs of how to put your book on Amazon. And it, it's an it's an awesome program, and it's a piece of shit program all at the same time. <laughs> so, 
we're trying to figure it out and i i i got it and i'm like oh okay uh it's out and then people like immediately started downloading it for kindle or whatever and then we're like oh shit so i call up this guy who's editing it with me his name's tim and tim is a retired school teacher he's my girlfriend's cousin and i'm like we gotta <laughs> we gotta edit this people started reading it so he's like oh no you know well, how does that happen? I'm like, well, you can update it as often as you want. So we got it. So I started going through the book and I'd send him sentences like, you know, this dog don't hunt, right? This is wrong, right? Is this a run on Tim or is this? And uh, it was actually one of the cooler parts of the creative process. I thought I was a pretty good. I had a good command of the English language <laughs> and I did not. There was a really? lot to learn in writing. Yeah, I mean, it was never awful, but it could have been, it could be better. And one of the things I really liked was learning the ins and outs of grammar and stuff. And uh, I thought I was all right. And I think I was all right. But there's just little things that, that, are, yeah. that are interesting. Do you so. think you have another book in you? Or is this like, I mean, I think everybody sort of is like, I'd love to one day write a book. The question is whether they want to write a second one, probably. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, actually, I think it's in it. One day I want to write a memoir, I think. Isn't that yeah. the exact wordage? Yeah, yeah, probably. You know, I don't know. It's so much work. It's a lot more work than I anticipated. Very rewarding. I liked most of the parts, like the grammar stuff. I really, I mean, I really enjoyed uploading onto Amazon was kind of a bitch. All the marketing was kind of fun. Uh, the editing and re-editing and editing again was interesting in the get-go. Got a little boring after a while because you're like, I just, just, why did I write such a fucking long book? <laughs> you know, there were, I could have. So there's that, and then the audio book sucked. Audio book is a lot of work, dude. A really, lot, a lot of work. Yeah, it seems like kind of the fun off. part. No, totally sucks. Really hard. Total bitch. Very surprised. It sucked. <laughs> it wow. sucked. People are like, oh my God, do you have Corona? You know, your voice is all fucked up. It's like, no, because I've been reading my fucking book for like six hours today. <laughs> and I'm so sick of this. But I mean, really sucked. Really sucked. Huh. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So uh, one of the, the immediate takeaways from your book is that you're sort of a hustler. You're kind of an entrepreneurial. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's enough like you, out of you, John. What kind of questions you got, Peter? This guy's talking <laughs> shit. We just started. I got some good ones, man. Okay. All right. Then we'll go back to him. I don't need good ones. All right, John. Okay. Sorry. Well, because you start out like killing it at the call center, which, you know, it's a very unique, specific type that, that succeeds at the call center. Mm -hmm. And then you leave that, you go to Hollywood and you start doing like production mm -hmm. and then it's becoming a roadie. And then one of the things that I was dying to know was how the book would end. And you get into the dispensary business all along, I guess, selling some weed, writing a book. What are you doing today? So I actually didn't all along sell weed. I stopped oh, okay. selling weed while I was on tour for sure. And I didn't mention the dispensary part. So you are very, you're very good there. You're quite astute. But I, I, I did. Thing. Well, I did say at the end that I got myself into trouble. So maybe you put yeah. a couple things together. You're okay. the first I, one to even bring that up. I thought that was at the end. Okay, maybe not. No, at the end, I say that I got into trouble, but I never said that I was working with a dispensary. So, oh. but you were right. I was. So, okay. uh, 
But, but it's, it's interesting it. that you put that together without me putting the wordage in. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. You know, there's uh, one part of the book and I called it like an Easter egg. And what it was is I, I say that uh, Tarzan was the king, was the king. We had a jungle, we had a forest and Tarzan was in the forest or something along those lines. Well, Tarzan was the king of the fucking jungle, not the forest, which makes me think, well, what the hell's the difference between a forest and a jungle? So I call the editor. Well, this is a biggie, dude. Uh, and so I talked to him about it. And he goes, you know, I don't, that's a good point. I don't know. So we started looking into what's the difference between a forest and a jungle. And the difference really is, is a jungle you cannot walk through. There's too many vines in your way. Whereas wow. a forest, you can cruise. Well, Tarzan did a shitload of walking around in the TV show and the movies. Maybe it was in a forest. So I leave it in. I didn't change it to a jungle. So no the things you can read into uh, can be fun too. But That's the dispensary wild. thing is interesting. And, and I was. I was working with the dispensaries after everything happened. And I don't talk about it much in the book. Huh. But uh, yeah, I went into that. And then I became an art dealer. And so, yeah, I had a, um, I had a, it was a pillar. It was a wooden pillar and it was the colors of the Jamaican flag. And we would put our beers on it when we played pool. And, um, I don't, I, I bought it because I used to, I used to go to this art dealer dude's house and I trade him some weed or I'd, I'd, uh, I'd buy stuff and my, I don't know if you wore that shirt because of the, you knew I was a black flag fan, Peter. I'm assuming not, but the artwork on my book is from Raymond Pettibone. Pettibone. Okay. You know, I actually had a question about that. Okay, cool. So uh, I would buy Pettibones from this dude. And, um, I have one of the biggest Pettibone collections in the, in the world. I would assume. Yeah. I have over a hundred original Pettibones. I have a massive, I I like his stuff so much. I like him. him. Uh, He's, he's, I, I think the guy's great. So um, I started buying art and this fucking wooden pillar, you know, and I take this stuff to this auction house guy. I'm getting into this because the guy passed away last year. He he had a lung cancer, 50 something years old, right? His name is Peter Lachery. And he was on the Antiques Roadshow and he was the dude who did modern art. Anyway, this guy gave me a cell phone number and he said, you know, hit me up. And um, if you think you found something, ask me, which was super cool. And I'd like to think I was pretty quick on the ball of sending him good stuff because he kept answering my calls. So this pillar and some other stuff I got is going to go into his auction. The pillar was made in shoot, like 1958, 1965, something early-ish for modern. Uh, but it's the, it's the good point of modern. And it had a, had a gallery tag on it. We like all that stuff. That's great. It's called Provenance. We, we love that shit. Hmm. So I take it to, he, he says, go take it to the dude who made it. He's a teacher. He's a professor at UCLA. And his name is Vasa Milovich. So I go see this guy named Vasa. He's an older fella. He's got this little Pomeranian dog. And he just looks at him and starts crying, dude. And, and, and I'm standing there with my pillar and this crying guy and his, and his, and his dog. <laughs> and, he, and he's like holding the dog and he's bawling. And he goes inside the studio and he starts, he shows me a catalog and there's the pillar I got. And I'm like, oh, that's very nice, sir. You know, it's very nice. And he goes, no, I came here from Hungary. And when I moved here, this was the first piece of art I ever sold. It's, the, it's what made me an artist. It, it paid for my food. And I'm looking like, oh, okay, I'm in. This is cool. I'm really enjoying myself, you know, beat selling weed. 
And so I, I'm having a good time. This is cool. Uh-huh. And we, I took a picture with the guy, the pillar and the dog, and I take it back to the auction house. And I'm like, so he said, don't touch his shit. Actually, I didn't because he's like, what he said is, please leave it alone is the exact words, Peter. <laughs> he said, don't touch his shit. And my whole car stinks of weed. <laughs> and I'm pulling this pillar out. And the auctioneer guy, um, you know, it sold, it, sold for a lot, it sold for real good money. And I got the bug. I enjoyed it. It was something different than what I'd been up to. And so I started buying and selling art. I did that for quite a while. I, did, I was really successful at it. And then I moved into memorabilia. So I've sold a lot of heavy hitting uh, movie and, and music memorabilia. Uh, some of it, like I had uh, Robert De Niro's boxing gloves from Raging Bull I sold. I have uh, Mr. T's boxing trunks from Rocky. Um, I have the original handwritten sheet music to Pink Floyd, the wall. It's about to go in the museum exhibit uh, that they're doing. I have, um, you know, lots and lots and lots of stuff. So, man, you just float float and flit around into various things. But one girlfriend for 10 years. That's amazing. That is amazing, right? She stays with you for all of this. (laughs) Fucking hell, huh? That's yeah. true. That's true. You must be married because you're like, I <laughs> you, see, you know, the right answers. Yeah. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know why she's with me either, but don't tell her. I won't. <laughs> I won't. Um, okay. Let's talk about being a roadie. Unless Dave, do you want to, do you have anything? I have one question right before you were a roadie, you were working as a studio engineer and you alluded to a night certain 1970s mega rock star who used to hang out with the harem of gay dudes. And you went in some detail there. Can you say who that is or no? Can't, but it was a female artist. Yeah. If I name, can you allude to it or no? I probably shouldn't. I shouldn't. Okay. That's why I never said it. But in the music industry, everybody knows who it is. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a guess, Dave? Stevie Nicks. I have no comment on this matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wondered if Dave actually speaking it. of of uh, Fleetwood Mac, I sold a lot of Stevie Nicks stuff. I had an awesome collection. If you're a fan, I don't know. Are you a big Fleetwood yeah. Mac? Uh-huh. So I had uh, I had her top hat from Rumors that I sold. I had all the outtake photos from Rumors. I still have here somewhere. I have a letter of her asking for drugs from her psychiatrist. That's really <laughs> I thought was really kind of fun. I had her diary at one point. I sold. I had. Um, I have a lot of uh, drawings of hers. I still have the front cover of Belladonna. I have the photograph. Really? Belladonna. Yeah. I like, I like Stevie Nicks. I like. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So again, you're this, you talking about all of these. And none of those kind of fucked up questions again. Jesus Christ. Is it actually, (laughs) so is it David or Peter? David. Okay. David, his son's name's Peter. I I don't know why it says that on your. It's his computer down there. Oh, okay. Okay. So. One of the things that I come away from reading your book is like, how does someone fall into being a roadie? But how does someone fall into doing any of the things that you've just illustrated to us? So explain, I mean, you wrote the book about being a roadie. Let's talk about that. For the sake of the listeners, how did this even happen and why? (laughs) What motivated you to become a roadie out of nowhere? So I had worked for a few minutes in the film industry, uh, which you talked about. I didn't really like it. I just didn't fit in. I just, it just wasn't me. And I I didn't know at the time I was uh, 19, 20 years old. I think I was 20 years old, but I just, I don't know. It just didn't work. You either start climbing the ladder and you build a career or you don't. And for various reasons, it just wasn't happening. So I'm a bum. (laughs) I'm going to a bar called Casey's like every night. 
which is this old man bar. It was great. They had this jazz band and the tempo was like, bum, bum. <laughs> and, it was like, and don't ever ask where anybody is because the chances are they just died so it was this really cool bar i was going to all the time i had already no i hadn't made my film so i i don't know i was kind of screwing around and i didn't know what to do and this guy came into my father's garage my dad was a car mechanic and he he needed a, a grunt he needed somebody to do some work on the road and he was working for a band called Stone Temple Pilots. I'd heard of them. If you remember the uh, the, the Columbia House, where you get you get uh, you know eighty five CDs and you pay a penny on, on right. Them. So I actually I, what I had done. So they, they used to, they changed it in the beginning. It was like twelve CDs, then it was ten CDs, then it was eight CDs. But I had kept the original one that was twelve cents because or twelve for the price of a penny. Because there's no expiration date on it. So I used to just keep sending it in all the time. Underneath my mom's name, my dad's name, my sister's name. I did the dog's name. It was like Al Bundy. With the, <laughs> I, did, I did it with the dog's name. My grandparents didn't even speak English or whatever. They got it. So I'm doing it with everybody. And I had got Core, STP's first album. Sure. I didn't listen to it a lot. I did like it sort of, but I, I just... I, you know, it wasn't, I was excited about the chili peppers, which I knew we were going to go on tour with before I began. And I was listening to Californication like everybody else in the world a lot. <laughs> and I was pretty excited about that. What was, what was exciting when I look back at it all is I became a diehard fan of STP by watching performance after performance and and really genuinely just loving the music i and and feeling like it was such an opportunity so you had mentioned that call center i was kind of ripping people well i wasn't kind of i was ripping people off mm -hmm. and you can make allowances and say that's okay especially when you're young and you're, you're making a couple bucks you're paying for college yourself but as you get a little bit older so for me it wasn't much it is nice to 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 not have to screw people and being out on the road, as you guys know, when, when you buy a concert ticket, you're going to have a good time, mm -hmm. not going to think about all of the other shit that you had on that day, that week and, you know, stuff. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be surrounded by people that are at the top of it. They're, they're very happy about things and it, it's nice to be involved in all that. And I liked it. So one of the things that I'm, I have a lot of questions about the day-to-day routine of a roadie can you can you illustrate that for me like you get yeah. up around what time yeah. when what do you do what's the daily schedule so you get up um god it's been a while man but i, I mean i think you get up around uh seven ish i, I think something like that Six thirty-seven feels about right it changes but but about that time you wash your balls off, wash your face off. <laughs> Actually, it's not true. I will we'll, we'll be sincere. So you wash, wash your you face wash, first, by the way. Yeah, you wash your face. Well, you could do a both thing, you know, if you're. Yeah, that's like, true. I, I just, you know, you always got to wash, like if you use the loofah, you always got to use, wash your face and head before you do your butt. Otherwise, yeah. because you got to do that last. Anyway, continue. Right. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, it's important. It's good noting. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Little message. So uh, wash my face because you're trying to wake up and I'm not a big coffee drinker, but definitely go, you know, I, I go take a crap and then you get to work. But um, the deal is, is within 
10 minutes of me probably waking up, I'm out on the stage and I'm looking at where the points are going to go that day. And I'm beginning everything to get going on my day. Cause as soon as I'm done, then the backline guys, which are the instrument guys, I guess you could say they, they can start to work too. Now I've been explaining that things are a bit different from when I toured. And now what they'll do is they'll have a stage, they'll build it and they push the stuff in. Uh, when I was doing it, that was a rarity. So as soon as I can get the lights in the sky, is when everybody else can get working and they're just sitting there waiting. So you try to go quick, quick, quick. Uh, and they do have breakfast too. We would get breakfast in the morning too. So I'd be eating the breakfast on the stage while I was trying to figure out, okay, put that there, put that here. Let's get going. Let's get going. So what was tough is that you're working like real working so very quickly from actually waking up. And then, uh, you're setting everything up to, uh, yeah, I'd probably be done around noonish maybe. Okay. Then um, I would take a cat nap. So everybody, a lot, most most roadies take cat naps. I think so. I would take cat nap a little bit on the bus, and then uh, find a place to take a crap before they let everybody in. The bathrooms are very clean before everybody gets into the auditorium. So go for, use the bathroom, and then uh, sometimes I would take a shower in the middle of the day because at the end of the day I wouldn't have time to take a shower. I'd have to get on the bus and leave. So you're getting on the bus at. Um, 2 30 something like that a lot of the time three o'clock in the morning and then again i told you you know you're three and a half four hours later you're waking back up to do it again so when it's physical labor it's physically demanding it's exhausting when it's mental labor it's exhausting and you have both going on so you get into this grind uh that's definitely a different lifestyle and it is it, it it is thrilling um, but it's damn hard work. That's, that's what it yeah. seems like. When yeah. I'm reading the book, <clears throat> that's what's kind of screaming at me the whole time is I just think, how does any human being maintain this schedule for very long? It just seems impossible. And so many of the guys that you worked with, first of all, you do such a great job of kind of illustrating what characters they are, you know, what yeah. they're probably like, how they would react to situations, the things they talk about. I don't know how anyone could bear being a lifer in this world. And it sounds like a lot of them aren't the healthiest, you know, like yeah. weight, bad backs, don't eat right, you know, divorced, maybe on drugs. I don't know how anyone does it. It's a tough job. It's ruthless. And I appreciate my roadie brethren, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why I started this podcast I've been doing. So take all those things into account that you said and assume they're they're valid and and i think that's a safe assumption now you have a year and a half to two years where they're not working on top of it the difficulty here is that while you're on the road you're amongst people who understand you they get it too they're also getting up in the morning they're also going through it all and you have your brothers in arms now you take all that away and you're at home you got nobody to tell your stupid stories to you have nothing to talk to nobody knows acdc because you're not allowed to see anybody you take it all away it's tough it's very very tough so the hardest thing for me was not the physical none of that what was difficult was finding my niche i'd go home to my friends and um they were doing regular stuff i was doing what i thought was cool or i hope they thought they were doing cool too but I just started to not feel like I was part of them. The other thing is, is on the road, I wasn't sure if I was part of that either. So now you're in this weird 
abyss of 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 not knowing what's going on. Yeah, and uh, that can be really bad for a lot of roadies. Did you ever feel? Um, again, I don't I don't want to project or or uh, stereotype or anything like that. But did you did you ever feel completely at home? as a roadie like this culture this is these are my people or did you did you feel some sense of like well i could i could take this or leave this i'm educated i've done really well at other jobs i could do other things um i don't actually need to be here i wondered if that ever kind of went through your mind not really no, no. okay no i was all in I, I loved what I was doing and I wanted to explore it more and more. I wanted to know everything about the industry and I wanted to give it a good shot. You know, in the beginning of, of it, there's that incidence where I lose the road case and my boss, we call him Caesar in the book. He was going to fire me. He really was. And I had only done a few shows. So I would have gone home with my tails between my legs, not knowing what I was going to do with my life, not having any co cool stories not having seen STP play another 80, 100 times. And I, my, my, my book would not have been done. And I knew it at the time. This was cool. And I knew I was young and I could try other things at the time. With all that being said, when I say in Guns N' Roses, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. There, that was sincere. I, I, but I was exhausted. I had been up for 70 hours working hard. 110 degrees or whatever humid i mean it was tough man and i was starting to snap i was i was just exhausted and yeah i'm like i don't want to do this bullshit anymore i'm sick of yeah. this shit but i just got into an argument with my friend and uh you know we were ready to start hitting each other so <laughs> it, it got a little bad yeah one of yeah. the other questions i had that came to mind is i mean i know it's you're very um expressive about your love and appreciation and respect for the stp guys they seem like great guys i i don't care how much i love an artist i don't need to see them in concert from the side of the stage every single night that would get yeah. so old to me but it sounds like to you i'm not saying you did that every single night yeah. but you really seem to have gotten off on that you saw that it was enjoyable routinely for you it, it was it really really honest to goodness was Why? i would, uh stp was that good i really really mean, yeah for real yeah yeah oh it have really they were with the new singer pardon have you seen him since with the new singer no okay no, i've never i've never heard it actually i don't know scott was uh i really i really liked scott you know you hear the war stories but they treated me very good and you know, they really did treat me like this little brother. I thought they were old men. <laughs> and they're like 30, maybe, maybe, yeah. you know, and I, but I was 21 or 22. So I, I thought they were all old guys, but they treated me like a little brother and right. appreciated it. It was great. And I, I would love, I'd love to see them play again. And I mean it. I really honest sure. to God mean it. Sure. I do them more so than any of the other bands, though. I, I uh, they okay. really stood out for me. I never saw STP back in their heyday. Did you, Dave? No. No. I have seen Guns N' Roses and Fishbone and some mm. of the others. But um, so you, you, I believe you say in the book, you never saw for yourself Scott doing drugs. You would no. see him disappear sometimes, possibly on benders or whatever. But you yourself were, never got like caught up in that, never saw it for yourself. 
No, and I never actually saw him leave on a bender type thing. Either. Oh, really? Okay. No, he was pretty straight and narrow. Now, you got to also keep in mind, the musicians during the day are not usually at the venue. Yeah. So they'll be at the venue. So we were talking about Corey from Living Color. One of the interesting things he said is they use that time during the day to actually write music. So their sound check goes hours and hours and hours and hours. STP had no sound check. They never showed. They weren't there. They didn't. They would do it if there was a TV thing or some kind of promotion okay. thing, but never very, very, very rare was, were they there. Okay. So all day they're off doing, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I'm sure there was, you know, the, the, what I've have learned is, is these musicians is people who do heroin and stuff. It, it's a, it's a difficult beast to, to overcome. And I don't know if it's even possible sometimes. Yeah, you know? yeah so. I believe it. Um, okay. One of the things, um, anyone listening who wants to pick up the book, something to kind of be aware of is that it's, it's almost sometimes a little bit of a difficult book to talk about because every chapter is sort of a new story, you know, and yes, you are communicating how you're feeling as you're going along. Yeah. But, um, it's more tell like it's a memoir. It's telling your story and each chapter, some of them are almost like a funny thing that happened or a joke, you know, an inside joke or whatever. So I wanted to, I think in the spirit of the book, and to kind of entice people, you got to tell us some of these stories. And one of the first ones that comes to mind is the Keanu Reeves story. Tell us uh, about Keanu me. Reeves and Taco Bell. So it's my favorite, actually, of the book. Is it? I love it. Yeah, that. man. I kept working on it and writing and writing it because I was just laughing my ass off the whole time because it's just so fucking random. It is. It's so time. random. So Keanu had a band called Dog Star. And I was working at this recording studio that I, I was totally an alcoholic. I didn't know what the hell. I did not want to be a recording engineer. And I would go out and party with my friends and just pass out on the couch all day for real. And Keanu came in with his band and, and he was pretty cool. He was sort of quiet. And uh, the singer of the band was a cool guy, too. I remember. I think his name was Brett. He was all right, too. So him and I would hang out and talk. So Keanu shows up in this pimp fucking Porsche, by the way, super badass Porsche. And he had just done The Matrix. So he's arguably the most famous guy in the world. Everybody had seen this movie. And uh, I don't think I had, though, actually. So he cruises <laughs> through. And... Um, he just wants to watch hockey. He, he, he's not a very talkative guy. He's pretty quiet. So he's watching hockey. And so the deal is I'm going to go get him lunch. I'm the runner. And uh, he wants Taco Bell. So I go get him some Taco Bell. So I come back with the Taco Bell. There's like $5 and 18 cents or something real small. And he's like, and he hands, he's you can keep it. I'm like, no, no, I'm cool. And, and he's, he's like, you can keep it if you want. No, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> so it was this odd interaction of me not wanting to take the five bucks. And eventually, I mean, just because of ease, he put it in his pocket, like, all right, whatever. So later my friends are kind of like, what the fuck's with you and not taking Keanu's money? I'm like, I don't know. It's because I could, you know, it was only five bucks. I'm like, I don't need your five bucks, Keanu. But I didn't know why. So anyway, he's sitting there eating the Taco Bell, watching his hockey and I thought it was an opportune time. And I was like, so I got a cool story, man. I mean, I was, I was in Egypt and I'm on a bus. And how it goes is when you get to the Israeli and Egyptian border, you switch buses. Well, in each bus, it's the same scenario. There's guys behind you. There's guys in front of you. 
are really hot chicks actually it's probably more like gorgeous women in the israeli army and they're holding like crazy submachine gun shit and then behind you they got like armored vehicles and in front of you and it's it's pretty crazy anyway on the egyptian bus they've they're playing the movie speed <laughs> and i'm looking and i'm looking and i'm laughing like am i the only one who thinks this is really funny instead of anybody kind of joining in they're all looking at me like would you mind shutting the fuck up american because we're trying to watch speed here it's keanu reeves motherfucker so i tell this to keanu and he the whole time he's just sitting there putting his uh hot sauce on his tacos and eating his tacos and he's just nodding at me and he's nodding at me and you could tell the whole time he's thinking like why is this a guy want to talk to me i just want to be left alone and watch fucking hockey and uh, when I finished the story, he actually looked at me and goes, you know, it's actually a really good story. I'm like, I told you it was a good story. <laughs> and I felt like I just achieved something monumental because I'm like, I told you it was good, dude. I told you it was good. I was so <laughs> proud of myself. And uh, him and I sat down. We watched hockey together and, and we hung out for a minute, you know, and I was I couldn't understand what offsides meant. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just I couldn't I'm still get fuzzy on hockey and the rules. I couldn't get it. And he's like, and he explained it to me a few times. And then finally, he's just looking at me like, I don't know. You're a fucking idiot. I, <laughs> you know, I just want to watch the game. I want you to go away. But it was actually, he never said I want you to go. But, but, just the vibe you got. Um, okay. Then cool also, interaction. I, I liked the guy a lot. And I think it was a fun story. He's a, he's a really nice person. You know? I feel like history has borne that out. For years, he was uh, Ted. Right, he was was he Ted or Bill? I think he's Ted. He's Ted. And, um, he's Ted, right, Dave? Yeah. So for years, it, he's like labeled as the "whoa dude" guy, but to, over time with John Wick and Ma the Matrix, it's proven that he's a deep, sensitive, decent human being. And I like yeah. that his, you know, the perception of him has sort of changed over the years. I think it's cool too, and I mean. I used to, oh God, he was such a bad actor. Anything he was in, I'm like, oh, God, no way, man. I don't, no way, no way. I, I was probably the last one on the planet to see The Matrix. And then I thought it was awesome. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is really, really good. But for me, it was like Highlander, where the main dude, what's his name? Help me out here. Christopher Lambert. It just sucks, man. Totally. It fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, and the movie's still so good. What it says is, this movie's so good with the sucky guy. You know, let's let's do a reboot without that dude and like right. get somebody badass. Right, right. That's it. Um, okay, you also got to talk about guitar lessons from CC Deville mm. and Steve Stevens. Steve Stevens has been on here a couple of times. I love him. He's um, awesome. That's cool. Right. I'd love to get him on my one. You got to hook me up. I like Steve. Steve's kind of quietish too. Is he? A little bit. Yeah. 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 So. Um, Steve actually never messed around and never, I don't know if Steve gave me guitar lessons. I'm trying to remember, but Stacy would, I can't remember. I mean, maybe a little bit here and there, but Steve wasn't around as much. So when I was working in this recording studio, Billy Idol was through, Billy definitely did his own thing. Um, but Steve Stevens would hang out a little bit. He gave me my first swag, which was this guitar pick. And at the time that was, that was very cool. Of course. Um, but they would show me how to like pick and stuff. And, and CC was good. Cause it was, uh, you know, I'm like, dude, it's hard. I can't even play Mary Had a Little Lamb. And he's like, because Mary Had a Little Lamb fucking sucks. You know, <laughs> you play a real song, man, and then you'll fucking learn. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, what's a real song? So I was messing around. I actually was trying really hard to play Neil Young. 
because that's easier apparently and i was playing I was, I was doing all right you know i was messing around and actually my guitar was cool they were uh poison used it to record on that on that album it was their greatest hits album i think they must have recorded some extra stuff and they used it to record which i thought was really i was real proud about having my guitar for that moment mm-hmm. i'm like see i have worth here other than going to taco bell for you assholes <laughs> but uh but i was getting these lessons dean DeLeo was helping me out and stuff so they're all teaching me so I'm on the stage one day and that fellow Caesar, he comes by and, and, and basically the gist was don't be messing around trying to play your guitar on stage. If you have nothing to do, go hide because nobody wants to see somebody they're paying to do nothing. And I'm messing around on Dean's, you know, $50,000, whatever guitar. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on that harvest moon. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah it was neat but i still don't know how to play so what it tells you is i don't know how good those guys are at guitar Uh, maybe not yeah maybe not that good you were talking about uh hanging out with ricky rocket and uh bobby doll also from poison great people really i've always wondered what bobby was like because he in so many ways is sort of like the forgotten poison guy probably because he's the only guy with dark hair Everyone knows the other guys. You know what I mean? You're gonna say he wore the least makeup. I'm like, no, no, no. no. He had no, I don't know. I think he did too. too. <laughs> He's and a very good looking lady. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and okay. you were cock blocked by Ricky Rocket one My night at the dinner, right? Fucking Ricky Rocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Well, what happened was is we all went to this dive bar. So we all was CC, uh, me. The lighting guy who I actually still talk to a lot, he comes over a lot. And um, I think that was it. So we cruise out to the bar and we used to play pool with Jerry Dixon from Warrant. And so uh, Jerry's actually pretty good. We sucked. So CC wasn't drinking at all at that time. And I was drinking heavily. And, and so we're, we're just playing pool, but we just wanted to get away from everybody. And so we we just asked the driver, where's the, sh- you know, the shittiest dive bar in town? Take us there. So we get to the dive bar and we're hanging out playing pool. And then fucking Ricky rocks, fucking rocks in the front door. And as he walks in the front door, someone plays poison on the jukebox. I'm like, God damn it. You know, we were trying to get away from everybody because when Ricky comes, that means other people are going to come. So that was the real reason. It wasn't because of him. It was more like, oh, great. Here comes the whole fucking band. And we just wanted to get away from all you people. And uh, Ricky came in and I'd been hitting on this chick who was not the bee's knees, by the way, but I'm hitting on this chick all night. And then Ricky just swoops in. He's like, Hey, how you doing, dude? <laughs> and, so, and so the girl's like, oh, <laughs> Mr. Rocket, sir. Yeah. Why do they call you rocket? So, um, so what happens is, is she, they're going to go, they're like, Hey, you know, we're going to go to another bar. And so do you guys want to come with us? So Ricky's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, before I could say anything. And I'm like, okay, you owe me beers, dude. I bought like five beers <laughs> for this chick and you're going to pay me for the beer. So we go outside, but what the girl doesn't know, we don't have a car or anything. We're not from there. So we're, so Ricky's like, well, can we just jump in the back of your truck? And do you mind? So the girl's like, no, no, no. So all these people there, there was like three, four people and they all, they all got into the cab and they're, they're so excited because they got the poison guys and the roadies literally in the bed of their truck. And I took the beer out of the bar and I'm drinking the beer. And, um, that's pretty much what happened Um, that night. I I honestly don't even remember the second bar. I totally really, 
No, yeah, my favorite anecdote was the uh, Ozzy Osbourne one. Yes. Which which part? Uh, so Ozzy Osbourne was blind. The tape. He had to put the. Oh tape yeah! You don't leave the box, head. man. Don't leave yeah, the man. box. So I love Ozzy. I, I I think he's he's just great. I feel like everything about Ozzy. And uh, Sharon seems to be more controversial these days, but I like her a lot too. So I had great experiences. Okay. With you were her. saying too um, that Ozzy took like every, uh, what was it? Every ate every pill. Yeah, you can't leave pills out because he would yeah, take. You can't leave pills out because he takes. Yeah, so the basic deal with Ozzy, yeah, that's what they would tell us. But I mean, he just. Yeah, he would consume anything. The most interesting thing about him is he he would we'd have bleacher seats on the side of the stage. Uh, we had him at quite a few shows, and you'd have Howard Stern sitting there or standing. Most of the time, he stood. He's fucking tall too, by the way. And uh, Ozzy would always sit right in the front row, and I swear, dude, he didn't blink. He just sat there like this. And I think it was because of like shit he's taken. I don't know. But he was a huge STP fan. And a lot of times what you'll see is so bands will come and they'll watch like one song and then they'll go back to do their own thing. And it's nothing. I mean, you know, you're doing this every day. It's like you just said, I can't imagine watching a band every single night. But Ozzy watched STP every fucking night, man. Every night. Really? Yeah. He would sit there and watch them. The Metallica guys, anytime we do a Metallica show, we'd watch STP every single night. <laughs> and it was these things that like, made it a luxury that that made you feel you were doing something special it was this time capsule thing um yeah. you know nobody knew how long scott would last i don't want to make like a big deal out of it but when you're when the guy is a heavy drug addict you don't know um yeah. it was exciting there was a lot going on and it's not just scott the rest of the guys in the band are badass man i mean uh, Robert is a killer bass player. Mm -hmm. At the end of the night, his fingers would all be bleeding. Yeah. Every night. Yeah. Every night. That's another thing I came away with was a huge uh, appreciation for the other guys. I mean, Scott seemed like a really great stand-up guy too, but you're so effusive in your love and respect for the DeLeo guys. That was a real kind of takeaway for me. Is that They're Dean big and, and they're tough. I'm still afraid of them. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, Dean lived in my neighborhood. And I kept running into him all the time. That was kind of fun. A little blast from class. Wow. And yeah. you grew up across the street from Angelo Moore. Angelo. Yeah, man. I'm going to get him on my podcast. I guess he's going to come on with one of the guys from System of the Down. Oh, so. good. Right. Tell Angelo, I want him on my podcast, too. I love yeah. Fishbone. Um, uh, they're good. They're, they're fucking amazing. Yes, amazing. they are. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to, one of the, a couple of the things that I thought were really funny um, you said Polly Shore just picks up all the girls. Um, Buckethead <laughs> had a huge, no drugs or booze, but a huge porn collection. Yeah. So Buckethead was a neat guy. He's such an introvert. He's such a quiet person. Um, and like my favorite part with him, as I talk about this one deal, there's nobody really in the studio. He would hang out more often than some of the other guys. And I think it's because he just... Uh, I think he's ha he's okay to be by himself. He's an introvert. Okay. And he would I would try and get him, you know, play the go-go's. <laughs> and he can. You know, just pick random crap and no problem. It's just this encyclopedia head of anything you want to play. He can do it. And he uh he he was fun to hang out with. He he was I liked him. He, he's a nice fella. 
okay. quiet, nice guy. But yeah, I don't think he's ever done any drugs. He's never really drank. You know, he's just he just likes the guitar a lot. Something else, and I was curious not to get, go to a downer all of a sudden, but it, it struck me how many people um, you've worked with that are that have passed away. Scott Dolores from the from the Cranberries. Yeah. Janie from Warrant, the guys from Quiet Riot, Frankie yeah. and Kevin Dubrow, who I guess was kind of a dick. But um, you, <laughs> he's kind of so he's famous for being a dick. So yeah. I was on my friend Darren Paltrowitz. He has a podcast called Paltrowcast, and he's he's a bro. We've become friendly after I was on his podcast. We've stayed in touch, and he writes for the Jewish Journal. And he's like, "So how come the one Jew on the whole tour you fought with?" <laughs> I'm like, fuck, man. <laughs> Brutal, dude. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Kevin was kind of a dick. He was he wasn't very cool to me. I wasn't very happy with that guy after that day. Yeah. But, he had a reputation know. for being that way, from what yeah, I Yeah. And I mean, you know, I talk about other times. It's not like stuff you hold to your grave. It's more like I think he might have gone. So to preface here, what had happened was is I, I said to him, I didn't know that Randy Rhodes had started Quiet Riot. That's pretty fucking cool. Really, what I was trying to do was open the door to start talking to this dude. I was going to be seeing him for a lot of shows. And instead of just walking by me, he'd do the, yo, dude, you know, hey, bro. And um, he's like, yeah, man, he, he's, yeah. I'm like, that's fucking very, very cool. Yep, very cool. So whatever. So this is why we're getting food. So then the show starts and he cruises out and he's like, you know, what's amazing, man. You know, what's amazing that people that work for us, man, that work for this band, man, they don't even know that Randy Rhodes started this fucking band. And I'm looking, I'm like, is this motherfucker talking about me right now? <laughs> I was just trying to be nice. And uh, so I, I was like, well, fuck you. You can learn how to do a, you know, set change and load out yourself, you fucking right. asshole. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the guys are really yeah, yeah. cool. They're kind of like, no, we know he can be tough. Can you help us put our shit away? We're like, okay. <laughs> sorry, really. Frankie's a class guy, or was, unfortunately. Dude, Frankie, Frankie was such a nice guy. Really Rudy, good. such a nice guy. Okay. You know, Ooh, very, Rudy seems like the best. Yes. Such a nice dude. Okay. Yeah. 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 I love I mean, Rudy. honestly, most people in music like are cool. They're nice people. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a good life. Yeah. Good yeah. life. You, you're getting to do what you want. Um, it's rare you meet someone who's a genuine fucking asshole. <laughs> okay. Well, then we're, we've kind of buried the lead here. So let's talk about Axl Rose. I, I knew you were going to say. Okay. So to, to pre okay. To, I said preface already. So to jump into, there's the book writer stuff. You got to change it up, David. So to jump into the Axel, I was and still am a very big Guns N' Roses fan. I love Guns N' Roses. The first CD I ever bought was Appetite for Destruction. It was a big deal for me. I don't know if you were going to get into it, but when I found the backdrop for for Guns N' Roses, it was one of the big, one of the neatest moments of my life. I love them. Uh, their music is amazing, and so. Axel's tough. There's no question. But when you're a big fan for real, maybe you'll put up with more shit. Maybe you just appreciate it more. But I still appreciate everything about Guns N' Roses. I think Axel's great. I think everything about the band's great. Mm. Okay. And he he said you made a really great 
cup of tea. Was that right? Damn right. (laughs) So good. It's worth naming a book after. So you want to know the deal with the book. So the book was called Axel said I made a great cup of tea. That was the name of the book. And my, my graphic designer buddy's name is Josh Geyer. Josh, Josh is like, dude, you got to call it that. I'm like, it's be fucking great, right? He goes, it's hilarious, dude. You got to like that. It's done. It's fucking done, Josh. It's done. So I called Dizzy because I, I wanted like quote on the front of the book, you know, Joel's book doesn't suck, whatever he's going to write. And um, he's like, so what's the book called, bro? <laughs> it's called Axel said I made a great cup of tea. What? I'm going to ask the name of the book. I'm like, we had like two conversations and, you know, and one of them was, uh, hey, man, can you make me some tea? And I was like, sure, dude. And I made Axel some tea. And then, uh, you know, later he, he's like, wow, that was some really good tea. So Dizzy's all. <laughs> what the what are you, you know, what are you talking about? And, like, and he said, that's that, that would be one conversation. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That was two conversations, Dizzy, because it was a spread over like hours. He took time to drink the tea. So because Dizzy was so like, dude, you can't name your fucking book that. We were like, we have to do it now. We have to do it. And then it changed at the end because Memoir of a Roadie just, you know what you're reading. My take was how many fucking axles are there in the world? And who wouldn't know what it was anyway? But uh, the tea and then the petty bone drawing kind of fit nicely. So um I changed it to Memoir of a Roadie, but I still kept the I kept That's the subtitle. It's the subtitle. Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't know what a subtitle was. I actually uploaded this this site called Goodreads, and they cited me, and they're like, you know, you can't have a title. That's a subtitle. So they changed my shit, and I'm like, ooh, literate guys. Okay, whatever, man. Okay. Right. All what you want. Okay, interesting. Um, Dave, go ahead. Do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, just because I'm a big fan of the replacements. How was Tommy Stinson? Was he a nice guy? I don't know. I mean, with Tommy, like Tommy did his own thing. So when we were we were in Rio, he was hanging out with this girl a lot of the time, who was actually a really nice girl. She was one of the local people that were working for the band. Um, but so when we were when we were down there in Rio, um, the people who like were calling the shots was Tommy and um, ugh, Robin, Fink. Robin Fink. Yeah, Robin and him were basically mostly Robin. They were the one Robin was really running the show and Tommy was really serious about it too. And then there was a guy named Paul who was in the band for a few minutes. He was, he was good friends with, uh, with Axel. They went to school together when they're kids or something. And Paul would definitely butt in too. So those were the guys that were trying to make everything serious. It's not that the other guys were fucking off. It's just that they were, they didn't really throw in their two cents. They just played. So Tommy was more serious. I definitely never really got to know him. I, I don't think I ever even had a conversation with him more than like, you know, hey, dude, grab my guitar cable. <clears throat> hey, bro, go fuck yourself. I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. One other thing that I wrote down because I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> when you find a case, a Guns N' Roses case full of clothes that had been in the case from the Appetite for Destruction tour 20 years earlier. And I'm just wondering what a 20-year-old, what a case full of 20-year-old clothes that haven't been washed smells like. It's gnarly. But the thing is, is it was more than the case. It was the guy I was with back there. And the guy I was with worked for the band for a while. And he's just such a great dude. And I I remember opening the case. And I remember like, whoa, what the fuck? You know, just grand funk, man. (laughs) Funk. Um. 
And but it wasn't like moldy, it was just funk. And they were also so small. Everything was small. It must have shrunk. Like I'm talking small. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm looking at it, and the guy comes over, he goes, dude, that's like all of the clothes from Appetite for Destruction. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. And I just I couldn't believe how lucky I was. Yeah. And then that backdrop with the Appetite for Destruction backdrop, it's under that road case. That was where it was. And yeah. it was just all stuck under it was around the wheel under the back wheel and i i felt like I, I felt excited that i would be able to now take care of this shit because whoever was in charge before wasn't or just or it just didn't happen whatever i don't know but i was going to make sure that this stuff was taken care of and but yeah opening that case because we opened up every case and it was treasure hunt i didn't know what would be in there but i knew it was all cool shit you know and uh, when I opened that case and I saw the leathers, I just, I, I was, it was such a great experience. That's amazing. So <laughs> yeah. You know where your level of excitement, it's like a little kid, like yeah. a four-year-old where you're like, it's your birthday today, honey. And here's your cake. <laughs> and the kid goes ape shit. Yeah. I, I was that, I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I, I, it was so exciting to me. Yeah. Such a great moment for me. It was a really beautiful thing. And then it's cool. The backdrop, putting it out in the parking lot and letting it air out and then properly putting it away just was a, a real g- great moment for me. That's great. Okay. Um, <clears throat> lastly, let's talk about groupies. What yeah. uh, you must have seen a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, <laughs> okay. You talk lovingly about some of the women you met on the road um and sort of how they you know relationships that went on and whatnot is there a story a groupie related story i doubt no offense joel i doubt it happened to you it probably happened to rep michaels or somebody else but uh did you what's the craziest thing you witnessed so brett's actually a total gentleman like is he okay. oh completely he total seems like guy. it but he also seems like the guy that gets the most chicks so that's why i asked yeah i mean good luck to the chicks i mean the guy's not he's not a whore uh maybe back in the day before i knew him but there there'd be hundreds of women every night looking forward to meeting him and he was he's such a nice guy he's not he's not this he, he's not he's not sleeping with different chicks every night that okay. i mean i was aware of yeah. he, he's a really nice guy a total total gentleman now um here's the deal i think you go through arcs in life so you get your first tour you're a brand new band uh, you get your first private airplane or whatever yeah you are ready to rock and roll you're like any one of us you're you're a 20 year old male ready to party and if they give you the supplies you're you're loving life i think when you've done it for a little while as crazy as it sounds Eh, maybe you get bored of it all a little bit. Most of the musicians I was working for were actually pretty focused on their music, believe it or not. Okay. It doesn't sound as rock and roll craziness, but but they were. Yeah. Um, also, their wives were around some of the time. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> which, which doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> right. That'll with the it. craziness and shenanigans. Okay. But, and with that being said, I, I intentionally didn't really focus on that. And, <laughs> and the reason why was... Uh, I was a kid who loved music and I finished it being a kid who loved music. And now I'm a a bald guy who loves music, (laughs) but um, there's more to the music world than the groupie aspect. And uh, yeah, I I did an interview 
uh, with these ladies and they're, they were called, they were feminist groupies and they asked me to come on their podcast. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm in, man. I'm in. <laughs> and they were interesting in what, you know, that you called women in your book. Uh, what did I say? Like a slut or a bitch or something. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, maybe I did. Maybe I did. Yeah. Or no, you know what it was? It was a, it was a hooker. And oh. so I was like, oh shit, man. You know, I called a chick a hooker. Fuck. I don't remember that. And so they're giving me a hard time. It's called the Muses Podcast. And they're really I think nice. I've heard of this. They're super cool, man. They're they're very, very cool. Yeah. And I'm still staying in touch with one of them. They're just they're great. The nice yeah. thing about the podcasting world, none of you are making any money. Nobody makes any money. So you're doing it because you like to, which means everybody's like, hey, I just talked to I talked to Bill. You got to talk to Bill. He was fucking great. I'll hook you up. And it's a super fun network. Yeah. And so uh, they were like, you need to do TikTok. I'm like, I need to do a TikTok. They're like, you need to do a TikTok. So I get on TikTok and this young girl like takes her leg, just puts it over her head. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, what do we do on TikTok? She goes, you need to make videos. So I have a guy now who's uh, making videos, but dude, you should do it. If you're not, I got a thousand on the first Thursday. Really? Yeah. I have yet to do TikTok Fucking or TikTok. Instagram for that matter. Checking TikTok. Okay. <laughs> So, okay. so you know, I'm learning, but it's been, but it's been exciting. Um, and so there was that, I mean, with me, I wasn't like crazy groupy nutty stuff. The truth is you're working a lot, man. You're yeah, it seems like it. Off. And I don't know anybody in, you know, Nebraska. So unless you've toured for years and years, you don't have anybody to call. And every now and then, like any guy, you get lucky here and there, sure. but you know, I was never an asshole. I was never, okay. I was just never that guy. Okay. So, uh, well, look, Dave, do you have any last questions last comments last anything uh I, I thought it was awesome to read this book from the perspective of the guy who's behind the scenes because john and i and i'm sure you same thing joel we've been to so many shows yeah uh yeah i mean we're so appreciative of of the guys behind the scene but we, we don't really know their uh anything about their lives their lifestyles or r really what they do on a day-to-day -day. so this book was was really enlightening on all of that i'm really you know i appreciate it you want to know keanu reeves's social security number yeah please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great i want to read you my favorite quote from your whole book i wrote oh, it down okay i'm Here ready what do you got i'm gonna quote it back to you yeah i thought this was really profound in a book that is really it's not like party all the time but it is it's a really fun kind of um it's not that it's a light read but it it's just a fun read. It's a fun read from start to finish. A lot of cool stories and stuff, but I found this really profound. It's a wonderful feeling when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but you know it is going to be exciting. And yeah. I thought that is, wouldn't it be great if all of us felt that way every day about whatever it is we're doing, you know? I, yeah, man. I mean, life's, life's good and yeah. you got to focus on the positive of it you you know i started writing the i started writing the book because uh michael grace who wrote poltergeist i was working with michael and i had made a film after this i don't oh yeah i, I, started to, I was gonna go into it and i stopped so i made a film and i stuck a bunch of rock star friends in it and uh, warner brothers distributed the movie and what's it called so people can find it it's called the still life i don't know how good it is but you can <laughs> you can check it out 
but uh, I made the film for like 20,000 bucks. I made it for nothing. It was a feature film and I did like 50 film festivals and I met this guy named Michael and Michael Grace wrote Poltergeist, Cool World, Marked for Death. He was just cool, man. I liked this dude. And um, he said, you need to write your story. And I, I don't know. I was reluctant. And years later, I'm going through my, my, my journals because uh, these are all just pulled from journals entries I, I think it might be obvious but sure. they were and i was like man this is pretty cool shit actually some of this stuff's really funny you know interesting and so that's what what did it and then i got cancer i had melanoma so i was like fuck man so you you're watching all the marvel movies and i'm like well shit i better focus <laughs> and make something neat because otherwise my nephews are gonna be like you know uncle joel just sure did he sure was good on ebay <laughs> right. and, and and so i started uh really working harder at it but when you say you're going to do another book, it was like three years of working on it a lot. <laughs> so each, each, cause you're 500 pages, each pass of editing is a year. Oh, so it's daunting. You know, yeah. it, it's so much work, but fucking worth it, man. Yeah. Totally, Good. totally worth it. Yeah. And, and I, I still live by that. I, I like the idea of what can I do tomorrow that I didn't do today and it's cliche, but you gotta focus on that otherwise you don't do as much cool stuff it's way too easy to get stuck in a routine where you're like okay i finished everything i needed to do today uh i don't know if you guys are parents i'm not but i'm assuming especially with okay so with newborns and everything yeah we made it through the day we made it through the day that maybe i get but at the same time life's not about just making it through the day it's doing that extra little thing that you didn't have to do that you're like that was cool. That was cool. It's starting a podcast, man. You know, it's doing something for you. Yeah. Yep. And that was very clear. Um, I don't think I'm built like you are, but I, uh, I, and it takes a lot like of you. beer. It takes <laughs> right? a That's lot true. Of beer. <laughs> That's true. But I envy people like you that are so smart and so savvy that they can make it happen. They have an urge or an itch to, try something new, do something different, creative, whatever it might be. And so they just do it and they're usually successful at it. And that fuels their interest in doing the next thing. And then the next thing. It's totally, it's true. But at the same time, not, not necessarily the smart part, but, but the truth, but the truth of it, I work hard. Yeah. I put a huge amount of time into stuff and ask questions. So uh, with podcasting, I, I, I joined a group on Facebook and started asking them all shows, like, where do I host? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't even know what hosting means. I don't understand. So it's asking questions. And then I'd never, I never, I would never ask you, John, uh, for advice on how to do something and then not do it. That means that when I call people and say, hey, I got an idea and I'm thinking about doing this, that, and the other thing, I'm going to actually do that thing, Yeah, which means... I'll give you I'll give you the time because he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. And uh and keep and keep the wheels in motion. Yeah. So I don't know. Life life should be fun. If you're not having fun, switch it up, figure out why and, and focus on what you can do. It doesn't have to be big stuff, just little things that make up the difference to to keep you happy. You know, Love getting it. your buddy to start coming on your podcast with you to talk shit. It's good. <laughs> That's why he's here. Right. Well, cool. Thank you, Joel. Thanks for talking with me. And uh, I hope we turned a few people on to Memoir of a Roadie. Yeah. Uh, it's a super fun read. A lot of behind the scenes characterizations of names you know, 
Some people are dicks. Some people take craps in buses when they're not supposed to. Some people That's show up the best, poison. The two best. Come on, some of those chapter titles were fucking. Oh, amazing. I know, I know. I uh, I was debating Don- the- Donald's drape. What is it, the Donald the Donald Trump one? That was fucking great. Yes, I, love that one. I know. that's the hard part when you're talking about a book because you don't want to give up every story you want to tell enough 500 pages though that's true all right yeah there's a lot yeah and who shows up for poison concerts and just all of it the behind the scenes is so fascinating so thanks joel for uh, telling telling us all about it cool look forward to staying in touch staying yeah uh, yeah you too um and uh i we this will probably come out like in the next week or two. Oh, um, you're so, okay. Yeah, I'll let you know. We we usually keep it pretty clean. I mean, it's just I'm going to bolt on an introduction and an outro, and we'll clean up some of the ums and uhs, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, you I mean, play dog star on the intro. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a good idea. I should I should play some dog star for the intro music. You that's should a good idea. for sure. So I was in an airport, I think with STP, and they're like. And I see these guys I know, and I start going, I go over and I start talking to them all and everything. They're like, who's that? Most well, fucking dog star, bro. <laughs> and the guys, the roadies are like, what's a dog star? Most well, Keanu Reeves' band. And they're kind of like, how the fuck do you know them? Oh, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dog star expert. Are you kidding? Dog star, bro. Actually, I have some recordings somewhere. I remember I'm, when that came out. I think I saw them on a on like the late night talk shows. I never saw them, heard them on the radio or bought the yeah. albums or anything but i remember when he was trying to do that yeah i don't know he was he was the best one in the band mm, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't i don't know how good they were he had a really nice bass <laughs> okay That's good yeah. and one other thing i think you mentioned is it palo alto you're friends with the guys in palo alto or yeah you've heard band? of them yeah i worked at tower records in the early 2000s very cool when, when their album came out and i saw them open for I want to say Supergrass at the Fillmore in San Francisco. I saw them open for somebody in, at the Fillmore. I think it was Supergrass. And no offense to them, but when you work at Tower Records, there's free CDs everywhere. And there were stacks of the Palo Alto CD all over the place. Yeah, I mean, you, I don't, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any information about them even at all. I, they just didn't quite make it. There's a bunch of bands from Earth to Andy. I mentioned you. Mm. You can't find anything about them. Mm. Tower Records is cool. Which one did you work at? I worked in their corporate office in oh. Sacramento. I used to sell stickers, pins, patches, and body jewelry there. Really? Yeah, I totally did. I had about five locations. No way. Yeah, it was wow. super cool. And then uh, the, the problem was is that all of the stuff, the licenses had expired. Well, I didn't know. I didn't even know what that meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. I got into trouble. Somebody, some corporate person at Giant, Giant was the licensor. They're like, hey, so where the fuck did you get these? Well, I got them from a friend of mine. So I called him like, hey, man, some lady from a company called Giant. And he's like, just bring them all back right now. I'll give you all your money back. I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. So, but it was like my friend's bands. It was like No Doubt and Corn and stuff. And I'm thinking like, oh, okay. You know, I don't want anybody mad at me. But you're thinking like, you know, Jonathan Davis can be mad. I sold a dollar sticker or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. but stickers pin bad. And then the body jewelry you had to be careful with because you can get infections if it's not made good or whatever. So I was like, oh, whoa, don't know what yeah. any of this means. It was a trip. Yeah, yeah I bet. <laughs> yeah, I worked yeah. in their corporate offices in, and I did regional marketing and uh for a couple of years and uh got free tickets to all the 
concerts I wanted and free CDs and stuff. And their album came out at that time. So I remember that. Yeah, that's a super surprise that you bring yeah. them up. I mean, because when I was doing the book, it's a lot of research too. And I couldn't find shit on those guys. Sure, sure. Nothing. And I don't remember the people in the band, even, you know, their names or stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So one other connection, you said you worked on things you can tell just by looking at her. I did. And I saw the premiere of that at Sundance. Hmm. Oh, no kidding. Sundance Film Festival. Yeah. You know I've never seen the actual film. I never, wa- I never did yeah. see it. Yeah. It was uh, Holly Hunter was sitting nearby and I think Callista Flockhart was nearby. Anyway, the, it was the premiere at Sundance. Big, kind of a big. Yeah, deal. the Callista Flockhart story. People give me shit about. They say it's really rude. What, was, what was it again? I thought she was a guy. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah, right. yeah. And I didn't understand why a guy wouldn't help me out. Like <laughs> with my, he's just staring at me. I'm like, you give me a hand instead of just staring at me. You know, fuck you. And I, I didn't realize it was, it was her. It was Callista. Yeah. What yeah. was the. Uh... The, uh, it wasn't a play. It was a Baywatch actress that you were. Uh, Erica Laniac. Erica Laniac. Yeah. From Under Siege. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. Cute. She was stunning. She was gorgeous. I love, I really did like her. And then I was telling that story years later to this guy and he's like, uh, I, I was engaged to her. I'm like, Oh fuck. You know, no way. sorry. Oh man. She, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Oh, that was awkward. I don't know. Wow. What did you okay. say about it? Was she cool? Was what? Was she cool? Like, like what? what did um, she was okay. I mean, she was the lead of this film, so she was really focused on trying to remember her lines and stuff. I mean, she's not a trained actress. She right. did do some stuff under siege. I think she had quite a lot of lines in under siege. Um, but she was pretty focused on trying to do good. The, the whole film was weird. The guy had won the lottery and wanted to make a movie. They were like rewriting the script all the way through the movie because the end didn't make sense or something. I didn't know what was going on, but it was just a shit show. And I talk about that guy, Alex Tavularis, who's badass, man. That guy is cool. So he was the storybook artist on Star Wars or, you know, this guy, he, he did like seven Coppola films. He was just, he's just cool, cool, cool. And he would just doodle all day and no matter what was going on, be like, so Joel, tell me a story. <laughs> and like, well, Alex, you know, I'm 19 years old. And I just, it was just so random. Cause no matter what was going on in the movie, he could give a fuck. <laughs> he didn't care. He did Tucker, you know, he was an apocalypse. He did worked on apocalypse. Now he, he was, he did Godfather stuff. And the guy was yeah. amazing. So it was really neat and with her. I'm a little brutal, honestly, I think maybe a little more so than need be, but, um, you know, we all get older. We all get uh-huh. older. But imagine being that starlet. You're in Baywatch. You're one of the most recognizable women in the world. You're a sex symbol to everyone. And then as you get a bit older, you pull out your fake boobs and you gain 10 pounds, let's say. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot. You get shit on. Mm-hmm. It's not really fair. It's not right. You know, why? By some fucking fat cigar smoking asshole. Who listens to Guns and Roses? So, <laughs> you know, it, it's very, it's very unfair. Hollywood, very ruthless and women. unnecessarily so. I mean, yeah, she was fun. Probably, it's been a long time, but remember, she was in the Clampets, man. She was a. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't yeah, know. I, I, I think it's a tough industry. The music industry, I feel, is not that nasty. Huh. huh. I really don't think so. I, when I was doing interviews for the film industry, I don't know if you could find them now, but some of those were great because I was younger. 
Yeah, I'd be like, you know, in the, in the film industry, you guys do a bit of blow and you think you're all cool. But in the music industry, we do heroin so we fucking die. <laughs> and I love that because whoever was talking to me would be like, oh. Oh, wow. Oh, We're getting more than we thought we would from Joel like, We today. don't know where to go from there. And just <laughs> shut him up, man. Shut him up. So, but I think in the, and I think in the music industry, uh, people are just more happy with themselves, more comfortable and stuff. I don't know. I don't know what it was that I just didn't do good in film. Yeah. And even when I made my film, I was just trying to make a couple bucks. I, don't yeah. know. I thought being a director would be cool. You could say, I mean, that's, it seems like that kind of drives a lot of the things you do is that it would be cool to say, I did X. I directed a movie. Youth, you need to do that stuff. Yeah. As you get older, you get married, you have That's children. True. It becomes way more difficult. You're not risking yours, your right. life. Right. You're risking your families. And that, that's a big, big decision. It's a whole different ballpark. So before any of that comes down the pipeline, fuck it. Make a movie. Yeah. 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 I wish I had done that more when I was younger. <clears throat> so. Well, there's still stuff you can do. So podcasting. Yeah. I mean, this is 50 bucks a month, 30 bucks a month. Yeah. You know, you can afford it. It's time where your wife's taking care. I don't know how old your kids are. Your wife's taking care of the kids and you're selfishly talking to me for an extra 20 minutes. But, um, you know, you can make that stuff work in life. Yeah, we've been doing it. I've been doing this for six years now and she's been supportive. We work around the schedules and she gets, well, it, you know, if you hit, you hit hard from what they're yeah. telling me. I mean, you can, you know, I heard Joe Rogan makes $800,000 an episode. An episode what i heard wow wow my lawyer just no sold some uh some rapper guy or something to apple for 50 grand an episode oh my gosh yeah wow. these guys are big you know we're just yeah we're jackasses chatting away no offense right. but but no, i mean no, and you know true. these guys already have their their caliber but i mean at the same i don't know it's something fun it, it's it something is fun. now my one is i like logging on right now i'm like dude there's some dude in belgium who downloads and no matter what the fuck I put on, it's like within an hour he's watched he's watched the thing. Really? So, yeah, I want to know who he is, man. I'm like dying there. Who's my Belgium buddy? That's great. Buddy. But it's cool. You'll be like, oh shit, Portugal in the house. <laughs> yeah, so. right. And then for me, you know what we were talking about with the roadie stuff is that um, it's true. Like a lot of these guys are having a really hard time, really bad. And I've heard some stories, just wonderful, awesome, They're way better than my shit. You know, this guy who I, I uploaded it today. Uh, are you in the thing? Party like a rock star podcast. I listened to the you? most recent episode because I only knew you only mentioned it the other day. Okay. So, so did, listened you to listened to one today with Bobby Schneider and Bob. Uh, no, I listened to the him. last one. Um, one from last week. Oh God, I can't remember who I put up. Um, the one today is is amazing. Okay. So Bobby Schneider was with Metallica for like twelve years, and then Bob Dates was with Van Halen for eighteen. And they're just they're awesome, awesome stories. Just great stuff. Um, I, I I could look at the timestamp, but it's an hour forty five. So I let them go. I let just you guys, this yeah. is your time to shine. You go talk. So like Sperminator one, 40 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, but it was oh, so yeah. good. I listened uh, to the black Irish band. Patrick. Oh, so that's uh, it's a good friend of our, of, of, of uh, my girlfriend and I, okay. So that was me supporting him. It was cool when they played the banjo though. I love that. That was cool. Yeah. That was cool. 
Uh, the rest of them are a little bigger. We're talking about way, way, way bigger bands and stuff. Okay. Poltergeist guy's on there, too, if you're a big film buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got into a heavy hit. I, I brought on him, the uh, the editor-in-chief of Fangoria, and one of the editor guys from uh, Monsters in Filmland. And we hit Michael hard on Poltergeist. Really? And yeah, that was really, if you're a Poltergeist fan, yeah, definitely. super interesting. You know, we go through stuff, IMDb stuff that's not right. and uh, stuff that really happened on the set and everything. And I've known him for a lot of years. So I knew, you know, who's your teacher in NYU, Michael? Oh, Martin Scorsese, you know, stuff that nobody would bring up. That was fun. That was a really cool one. All right. I'll dig deeper. The one today, if you're a music buff was just, you know, it's just so amazing. I could, I I, I could write to you, but the timestamp of them, I asked him, uh, he, he tells me the story about Eddie Van Halen. So it was, uh, so he's like, the, the Van Halen brothers were Dutch. I'm like, okay, cool. And he goes, no, no, no. I mean, Dutch. Like they spoke Dutch every fucking day. They're Dutch. I'm like, okay, I got it, Bob. And I'm going to be a little wrong in the story, but, and I'm like, okay, cool. He goes, so we were in Holland and this is back when everybody partied. And um, I go to the bar with Alex and Eddie and I'm in the bar with the guys and Ed just starts crying so he goes off by himself and he sits at a table he's very upset so we're hanging out in the bar we leave him be so I give him about 10 15 minutes and i go over to talk to him I say eddie you all right man you all right you want to come you want to come hang out with us you okay and he looked at me and and he said you know what i can smell my father's tobacco i'm like oh shit, you know, bob he goes yeah and he goes so what i would tell wolfie is that your father was a man and he taught me it was okay to cry and and as far as you playing on stage, it's in your blood. You know, you're all right. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, what a beautiful wow. moment. I had another one, you know, what's uh like what's your favorite moment or whatever touring type uh-huh. thing? And and he's like, Well, I went to go work at a university, a college university, and uh they, they did a tour, and for 15 minutes every day I, I would put the laughs on this man. And I'd get to talk to him for 15 minutes every day. And we did show after show, you know, we did like a full run and that man was, um, Oh God, am I slipping? What was it? Uh, South Africa. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. That man was Nelson. Mandela. What? And I'm kind of like, Oh fuck. You know? So for 15 minutes every day, day after day, he would talk to Nelson Mandela about anything. Whoa. Oh, by the way, I did a tour with, uh, with um oh god with uh god it's so bad the analogy but you'll understand caddyshack with uh bill murray yeah oh, the, dalai lama? the dalai lama is terrible oh, the dalai lama. <laughs> we're going to hell david but you're right on the money and he's <laughs> like he's like you know he's all i did another one with the dalai lama i'm like fuck what i should have asked him was why'd you mention nelson mandela over the dalai lama good yeah. point that would good have been point. Good, that would have been a good question interesting yeah that one carries more weight well was it one guy was more open with you maybe it was as maybe. simple as he did more shows with the guy i don't know that is but, fascinating uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, the stories from people when you open yeah. the thing. But today, that, that was really fun. the one with Van Halen. I mean, I wanted to cry. I mean, I what bet. a story. That's so amazing. Beautiful. You know, Wolf. and you just think of Wolfie hearing this great story about his dad. Yeah. And now he's opening for GNR. Fucking A, man. Yeah. They're coming through yeah. here soon. 
Yeah, well, enjoy it. Well, thanks a lot. I, I thank I, you, Joel. I know I talked more than you wanted me to, but I no, it's okay. This is this is what it's about. I yeah. just want people to you know think you're interesting and think the book sounds interesting and check it out. Well, yeah, I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, Amazon. The, the beauty of Amazon, I know it's it's everywhere, but it's yeah. easily accessible. Four to six thousand pages a day of that book are being read. Wow, really? Isn't that remarkable? That's amazing. Yeah, it was number eleven today on the bestsellers list in biographies. Really incredible. Memoir of a roadie. Number eleven in biographies today, and it was uh, it was the number one new release in biographies when I was on the new release list. It's incredible, and it's all because you just push a couple buttons on a computer. Yeah. It's so cool how accessible things are now. Yeah. It's really neat. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking with us, Joel. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All very right. much. Stay in touch and uh, let too. me know what you think of the episodes. You're good at this. Six years is a long time. If I can improve, you tell me. <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah, let me know, man. Let me know. Okay. Right, buddy. And I'll send you a link when this goes out if you feel like sharing it or whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, I will for sure. I know what that means now because when people don't, you're like, what the fuck, man? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I will for sure. I'll put it on okay. the, uh, or you know what? Um, put it on the party of uh, Party Like a Rockstar podcast site and I'll just approve it. That way, okay. coming from you, it looks better than me uh, sharing it. But okay. you're just like, I've got a seven, eight hundred roadie or music people on there now that will that will check it out so you mean like a the facebook is there a facebook page party like a yeah so the facebook page and then i've been pushing the youtube but it's really hard man it's hard to get people to subscribe yeah if you can subscribe oh you know what too if you could leave a review for the book because you guys actually read it that would be cool okay on amazon sure uh but you know the problem with this is can you do a tiktok would you mind jumping onto twitter would you mind instagram how about facebook i mean it's just like dude i, I know fuck I this heard. Never it ends. never ends. Yeah. So what I'm focusing on right now, the, the reviews are really helpful because that that's a big deal on Amazon. And then I'm telling people to join the Facebook group because it's kind of a shit show. Roadies are posting stuff galore. You might find another guest you might like to talk to. There's people in there okay. that are pretty fun. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And if you uh, find one of the podcasts that you're like, I, I would I would love to talk to this guy, Joel, tell me. And okay. I'll try I'll try and link you guys up. Same. Same. Let me know. Cool. Uh, okay. Sounds great. Cool. Thanks, right. fellas. Thank you. Talk to you later. the shirt, by the way, David. Fucking awesome. I can buy that piece of art right now. The guy wants a hundred grand for it, though. Are you serious? Whoa. Yeah. I'm, I'm tempted, man. I fucking love Petty Bumble. That's a lot of money, dude. Dude, here's have a that, like, anecdote. What's that, uh, Dave? Keith Morris once said, uh, I think it's in his book, but he said that he was so tight with Raymond Pettibone that uh, Raymond Pettibone told him if he was ever in need of any money, he can walk into any studio in the world, just take any Raymond Pettibone piece off the thing and just have it and sell it. Like that's how good Pettibone used to. What he would do is he would put his artwork all over the asphalt, and it was two hundred bucks a piece. You pick what you want, <laughs> and if you go to his studio, which I have never been to, this is all what I've been told. It's just a mound of artwork. And it, he just like throws the baseball over it all the time. He just he'll he'll play catch with you over like a thousand pieces of art or something. Wow! But I have like album covers. I, I I'm just I think he's great. This is a good one. I I have the biggest collection. Is I sold my uh, flyer collection, and I did it because if you buy an old printer and paper, what's to say you can't copy this shit? Yeah, so, and I, I sold it for almost thirty thousand dollars. I had an insane, but I love punk flyers. Yeah, 
I kept my Zine collection and I have the most complete Zine collection there is. I'm missing like three, which you wouldn't even know existed, but I've spent so many hours looking. So I call up um, the record label and this guy, Greg, calls me back and he's like, I'm also what would happen, sir, is they used to uh, they used to give them out. At, well, they used to sell them at shows. No, they used to give them out. But but and I'm correcting the guy it was fucking Greg Ginn, dude. Was Greg Ginn? <laughs> yeah, it was Greg Ginn on the phone wow. with me. And I'm fucking such a dumbass. I'm like correcting him. And he's like, uh-huh. 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 And it's just, it's fucking his brother, dude. I just yeah. so well, they don't talk though, do they? Uh they have an off and on relationship. I, I know okay. they've argued through years. I've never other than that phone call, I've never spoken to either one of them, but Raymond's tough person too. You know, he's he's pretty out there, I think. So yeah. I, I've talked to him through Twitter and uh it was pretty cool. You know, he was actually really relaxed. It was just basically like, Yeah, sure, do what you want, whatever. So he was neat, but um, I was all excited talking to him. I'm like, hey, you know, I got this piece and, you know, you did it. And he'll be like, yep, I did that. And I'll be like, Haha, so fucking cool. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's just neat. I love punk stuff. I, I had one the other day. I haven't released it yet. It was uh, Andy, Sh- Andy Chernoff from The Dictators. Okay. And I had him on with Doug Carrion from The Descendants. Yeah. And that was fucking cool, man. That's awesome. It was really? awesome. Because they were sort of geeking out on each other. Watch the first one, A Party Like a Rockstar. That's crazy. It's uh, Peter uh, Peter Feinstone from Bad Religion. He was yeah, a- yeah, the drummer. Yeah. And I have him on with John Mann from Elton John's band. He's the uh, percussionist. Okay. No way. And they're like geeking out on each other. It was fucking amazing. At the end of These the episode. These are on YouTube? Yeah, they're all on YouTube. That was oh, the I first one. I didn't realize. I downloaded it on my podcast catcher or whatever it's called I thought it was, yeah they're all okay. on youtube yeah well they're all on like everything but that first yeah. one that like i got the bug it was really yeah. neat because at the end yeah. they're like two and a half hours i'm like guys i, I gotta piss if you want to keep talking and um they got each other's phone numbers they're talking to each other peter's thinking about getting drum lessons from them that's hilarious it was really well what he said was in the or in the beginning of bad religion we all wanted to be metallica but when we weren't listening to metallica we listened to elton john dude yeah. And he was totally serious. Well, it was very, very cool. Huh? It, uh, they, 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 they did a prog record called Into the Known. Oh, really? I got to check it out. I don't know. It's, um, when Bad they, Religion did a prog record? Yeah. When they re-released all their stuff on a compilation called 80 to 85, they deliberately omitted that one. Huh. huh. I got to check I it I out. That. I didn't know that. Is yeah. Peter playing on it? Uh, I don't know. I know Greg's on it, and I and it's, it's under the name Bad Religion. And I want to say, uh, let me think. Greg Hetson wasn't. Dude, let me look it up. Because that film I did, Peter played all the percussion. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, the film was a Dizzy film. from Guns and Roses, Snake from Skid Row, Adrian from No Doubt, Darius Rucker, uh, Delaney Bramlett. Who, if you don't know, look that guy up, dude. <laughs> Um, Eddie from Blessed Unions of Soul, Dean from Toad the Wet Sprocket, Jeez. Uh, and I put all these guys together for all the music on the album. So the wow. the album was killer. Doug Carrion was on a lot of it. It was super fun, you know. It was neat. That's cool. Yeah, the Very drunk cool. dude in the bar is is Josh Todd from Buck Cherry. Um, the the guitar player in the bar is Matt Nelson. Really? <laughs> Louise is the singer in the bar. It's like I got to go to this bar. No way. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun, man. It was, it was cool. Cool. By the way, I looked it up. Pete's not on that record. It's just Greg and Greg and Brett, 
and then three other guys I don't know: Paul Dodonia, Davy Goldman, and Jamie or sorry, Jim Mankey. Okay, Jim Mankey sounds familiar. Yeah, I'll check that out. Maybe I'll listen to it tonight. What's it's called? Into the Known. Into the Unknown. Into the Unknown. Yeah, I'll check it out now. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, like they were really into like King Crimson and ELO and stuff. No, I yeah, I mean they were. Well, he was saying he was going through it, and he, he was talking about. So he got into the band because the original drummer was so fucking irritating. He's like, he just talked too much. He was so, and we're like, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to get rid of this guy. So I set up the drums every day. And so uh, they said, you're going to be our drummer. And he's like, I don't know how to be a drummer. I just set up the drums every day. So next thing you know, my, you know, my mom went out and she got me a drum kit and I'm practicing every day. I'm practicing every day. And everybody was so mean to me because I sucked. And Greg was like, no, give me a shot. Give me a shot. So then John Mann's like, well, how old were you? He goes, oh, I was 15 years old. Jeez. And you're like, oh, my God, man. Well, John didn't even get his career spiked till he was 30. Yeah. So he's saying, you're kicking yourself for not knowing how to play your instrument. You're 15 years old. So it was so cool to see these legends, these fantastic musicians, totally geeking out on each other's experiences. And that's why I put two people on every time was because of that. I love that moment. Great. Really yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it was cool. Anyway. All right. All right. I got to go. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you very guys. much, John. Thank you, David. Take you care. Guys. We'll later. talk to you later. Thanks, Joel. Cool. All right. There you have it. Joel Miller. Memoir of a Roadie. This book is a lot of fun. If you, Like I said, if you couldn't tell from this conversation what it's like just hearing stories from this guy about being a roadie and what all is involved in being a roadie. If that sounds appealing to you, go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and check out Party Like a Rockstar, his new podcast. So we're going to try and do a few more of these. Uh, we've got another book, Dave and I, coming up on The Who that uh, should be out in the next couple of months. So we'll see where this goes. But if we just wanted to be supportive of people who contact me but have books and uh, wanted to read them, wanted to discuss them in an, hopefully an intelligent manner with people who will find them interesting. So we'll see where this goes, all right? Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.